Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Writing the Rapids, the show where I, Joe Balaki, talk to writers about writing. Very often, those writers have been recommended to me by writers who have previously been on the show, except in this month's case, Rick Claypool is just a writer whose work I really enjoy, so he's on the show. They're my rules, and I can break them if I want to. Rick Claypool is the author of The Mold Farmer from Six Gallery Press and Leech Girl Lives Space Boy Books. His short fiction appears here and there online, including in Bear Creek Press, Expat Press, and Heavy Feather Review. He grew up in the industrial outskirts of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now he lives near Providence, Rhode Island, where he spends as much time as possible wandering through the woods looking for fungi and slime molds. He also has a new book out now called Tentacle Head out through Bear Creek Press. All relevant links will be in the show notes. Be sure to stick around to the very end of the conversation where Rick does a little reading from Tentacle Head as well. If you would like to help this show remain a thing, patreon.com slash noisemakerjoe is the place to go for that for recurring donations. You could also do paypal.me slash noisemakerjoe for a one-time donation or you could buy my book. It's called Tired, and you can find it on Amazon. Now, without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Rick Claypool. So Tentacle Head is the new book. It's out from Bear Creek Press. It's a nice little shorty. Um, at some point, maybe we can get into the, the um, semantics of what makes a novel or a novelette or a novella uh, or any of the other words that people use. Um, But it's a nice little shorty about some weird little mutant guys who uh, are discarded by a laboratory and hijinks ensue. Um, I think after writing the essay on leech girl lives and the mold farmer that i did it's hard for me not to see this one as a work of political allegory too even though it's sillier and almost could be considered like somehow a middle grade like something you might read to a child for bed uh which is just delightful to me so like where did this book come from uh, following the other two so yeah, Tentacle Head. Um, it and uh, thank you uh, just all the, for you know for having me on and to talk about this and um, you know for 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 being interested and and, and all that. Um, and, uh, it's um, yeah, I just call it. I mean, I I just call it a book. You know, in terms of like a you know, novella, novelette, whatever. Just a, just a book. Um, but so this. You know, both the yeah, my prior books had more of of political origins. In here, I'm um, it's a little. I'm delving a little bit more uh, with into like psychology. Like I don't know, I'm someone like part of why I'm writing is I'm I'm writing for therapy, um, and uh, it's. It's, it's it's essentially it's it's the sort of the the origin story of of one of the characters in the longer thing that uh, that I'm working on. Um, so and uh, uh, so Tenel Head is sort of this. Um, he, he's kind of like a a, a, a manifestation of depression. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
uh, and this context of this like totally horrible, weird world, well, the sort of moon place. Um, and it's a little bit uh, has its, it's uh, I kind of made it a point that I wanted to to start over and do a like a world and characters in a situation that was as um, divorced from the sort of current socio-political goings on as possible just for the sake of the, my own mental health and uh, being uh, going on a little bit of a, a dissociative fugue while I'm um, working on it. And, um, and, and it also, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of it, you know, my, there's, you know, my uh, deep down and in, in, in heart of hearts, there's a, there's a, there's a place where I'm just like my, I don't know, I, I'm at my, my happy place is like thinking of like Saturday morning cartoons and, and things like that. And so that was, that's also part of, I don't know, just what my brain is steeping in slash using to process trauma. Sure. So when, when did you start writing this one then? Is, is this a pre or, or post pandemic creation? This was a, this was a pre pandemic creation. Oh, we just had some thunder. Awesome. <laughs> this is this was this was uh i i, I wrote it pre-pandemic um uh and you know i wasn't even sure um what it was uh like it was like it was a long short story or you know and um um but yeah, it was so it was mostly written, um, you know, before the pandemic, um, a lot of it like uh, at a coffee shop in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, and it, um, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm curious if there are like pandemic y things that, that come out about it. Cause I feel like there, there could be, or just like the overall feeling of like, this is a shit world where everything is fucked up. And like, <laughs> is that, like... <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm scrolling through the PDF now. There is a, a bit sort of in the, I don't know the beginning of the the third third that felt kind of pandemic-y um that there was um oh, i guess there is a plague I guess there, there is a plague and it makes everybody want to stay away from each other and very ang- angry yes yeah no I, I, I so i wrote that before the pandemic but i can yeah i can that was just you know it was the plague trope and how it i guess functions and you know in in fiction and how it uh it um and how an actual turns out how an actual plague plays out is pretty who would have thunk it yeah it's weird i at some point started rereading a a false start book length novel thing that i had started writing maybe in like 2018 and there's a thing that happens in it that causes everybody to stay inside 
and I sort of like zoom all the way out to like globally simultaneously everybody cares about this and is terrified but also everybody's ignoring it too um and like certain things that I wrote down were like exactly like one-to-one what would happen in in 2020 and it was just like I'm it's amazing that we could all see this coming or you know I'm not much of a young guy but there's something like inside of our subconscious that like even if you're not paying attention that hard to how the world works like you just kind of knew what was coming which is so wild (laughs) because it seems so surprising everything that happened and it's still happening seems so surprising uh but apparently we all we all knew right <laughs> when like that particular domino falls and, and and you know the where the you know the way yeah society although i i don't know i feel like my experience of of the pandemic where there are ways where i, I almost i don't know i i had i had more optimism for like how like i thought people might behave i don't know why i'm not i'm not necessarily an optimistic person or by inclination or like you know i like a like a, like a you know big big hopey uh, guy but i really thought that um i don't know i was i found myself just like just really like heartbroken and disappointed and just generally like how like how things played out and and how so many of the just so much of the animosity and um, just uh, 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 selfishness just sort of came to to the to the forefront, and I'm still kind of getting a lot of you know twinges of that, right? You know, whenever it is different things happen that are just like, oh, like you know, we, couldn't we we, we could we could have done things in a way that kind of like looks out for for folks who um, you know are are, are more vulnerable um, than just more okay now we have to make people who are more susceptible or vulnerable just you know work be more isolated and work harder and and try to um uh you know the the society soldiers on right and (laughs) right yeah there and there was a point too where i guess the disappointment for me because i kind of i feel like i'm in the same sort of headspace as you where like i'm not super optimistic about the world and about especially like America as a civilization. Um, but like, it seemed like it should have been so easy to get past it. Right. Two weeks to slow the spread or whatever was the mantra. And it just Mm kind of seemed like if we had all just done that, then it would have been fine. Like, I, I still kind of believe that, even though I'm sure it's more right. complicated. And I understand that different businesses took it more seriously than others. And it's not just individuals and not everybody, you know. My wife and I had it pretty easy where we could work from home and we're both pretty introverted anyway. And so it was like, this is great. Our dog is still a puppy. We're both at home. We don't have to leave. We're getting burgers every day for dinner. Like, this is pretty good. There, There's really nothing to, to complain about. And enough people had that experience that, it, like, being grumpy at those people became a meme. And um, just kind of all the, all the stages that we've been through. Um, yeah. Is... It's just, it's very strange, but, and I mean, it was like during the pandemic that I read your other two books too, um, which 
you know, I feel like I'm pretty emotionally resilient at this point. So it wasn't like, oh man, I should be reading something happier. Um, but it, uh, especially the mold farmer was like, oh yeah. Back to work. We need to, we need to unify a little bit better. We need to not be so out for ourselves or at least we need to expand the um the definition we have for for what constitutes ourself i think um the three books that you have out are all pretty um different i guess um but sort of the mushroominess is is the aesthetic link that ties them all together. I'm curious about where your love of fungus comes from and and how it's you know informed your work beyond just aesthetics. Yeah, you know, it's I have um very distinct like memories of like fungal encounters like when I was you know a kid or when I was in college and like they were I don't know they were just those these a couple there were just a couple of moments that um just seeing you know just weird colorful growths um in the woods I had no idea what they were and you know I I kind of I grew up sort of in you know around sort of the sort of in the industrial uh, outskirts of, of Pittsburgh. So I was around, you know, woods a lot and had almost never really noticed, you know, mushrooms or fungi or anything like that, except for like, the, you know, this handful of times where there were just some things that were just like big and, and, and bright and, 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 and drippy and almost sort of, you're just sort of demanding attention. It's just like, holy shit, what is that? Um, and they, you know, and then, and there's so, the, and there's this the, um, you know, and so I've just had this. So it starts out, so I, I didn't start like actually delving into like mycology or mushroom identification and, or anything like that until fairly recently, like after, even after I, you know, I, you know, wrote the, um, the mold farmer, and um, so what it started as just this general idea of, you know, they're interesting, they're weird, they're, they have this association with, with rot and decay. And, you know, if it's in your house, you know, that's a sign of, of bad things, right. That are, that are potentially toxic and problematic and you don't, you know, want that happening. Um, and, um, which is, it, it's I, I think it kind of in retrospect it's almost like a like a, a mycophobic attitude right mm -hmm. that is sort of something that we all um not we all but i think um you know at least i think most people in this country are sort of you know who are exposed to mushrooms um like wild mushrooms when they're children the the basic lesson is don't touch that it might be poisonous mm -hmm. um or it's oh that's let's you know, don't breathe in those spores or, um, let's, that's making the lawn look ugly, or that's a sign that the, that the tree is, is dying or, or whatever, right. They're, they're sort of, uh, uh, 
uh, a thing that is wrong. It's a signifier of a, of a wrongness and of a, of a like a, of a sort of a malevolent. And they're um, and they're also almost always a a surprise in this context. If if, if we're like if you don't um, study you know mushrooms or know how they work and why you know most like most people you know don't i mean i know i never really paid much attention um they can appear just so abruptly like overnight it's not like um like the you know the plants and flowers whatever you can in that that are generally around us right you can just you can see them grow some suddenly that there there is just there is abruptly this rude looking slimy thing um sticking out of uh the yard and you know maybe it has you know weird colors or maybe it has a weird smell to it or um maybe it's beautiful you know in its own way but it's still it's it's like where did this come from how did it who put it there you know um how does this work um and i know i think that that kind of you know uncertainty is really um interesting and amazing um and i also think like there's just like a cool like tradition of like there's uh, not tra maybe tradition is too strong a word but like there's i don't know there, there are people writing have been writing cool fungal stories for you know a long time right i um uh, uh there's uh I mean, you know, Jeff Vandermeer, of course, mm -hmm. is, uh, 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 you know, a, a huge force in, um, in, in, in weird fungal fiction, right? And um, his, uh, his whole, um, uh, you know, the, the Ambergris books with the sort of mushroom people and, and, and Finch in particular, right, um, are, are just uh, uh, such a, uh, an, an interesting way to sort of explore the sort of uh uncanny aspect of you know kind of making fungus people beings um and uh, i'm trying to think of other uh and then the, the book that um that I, I recommend to to everyone is um uh Aaliyah whiteley's the beauty which is um it's a short uh it's a novella and the the prose is just it's you know this is kind of it's both sparse and and lyrical at the same time somehow but it's um i mean the premise is a sort of this there's a a post-apocalypse where um uh all the the women of the world uh sort of are, die of, of of an illness and and then so they're the 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 sort of there's this sort of sad encampment of, of men left behind. And there are um, these fungi women or women, sort of fungi that sort of imitate the women enough that the men are like, okay, um, we'll uh, maybe we'll try to have a, a relationship with the, with the fungi women and that it, it doesn't we'll just say it's it, it like in many sort of natural circumstances right like when there's like a fungus uh animal interaction the the fungus has its own agenda that it's 
using the um, the animal for, and it doesn't necessarily work out great for the animal. Hmm. Yeah. I, there was the whole iteration of of the zombie lore mm. for a while there too. That was very fungusy. I think uh, Resident Evil did some fungusy type zombies, and The Last of Us had the they had the big sort of fruiting body heads and clicked t- to figure out where things were. Have you read? Um, Oh, what's it called? The Entangled Life by Merlin Sheldrake. I haven't. Everyone keeps recommending it to me, and of course um, they I would mean... because it seems very on brand. <laughs> so I feel like I, I I need to I need to catch up because I am I'm very interested in the um, the ideas I hear people talking about of the sort of um, uh, sort of looking at it from the view of sort of the the interrelatedness of you know, fungi and each other and fungi and other species talking about the sort of the, 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 the Michael Reisel connection between uh, fungi and, um, uh, and, and trees and other plant life, which is essentially you know, sort of forming this um, network because it's, I guess, you know, it's when uh, we people see, you know, a, a mushroom or some other sort of fruit body of a, of a, you know, in the, in the woods, right. That's not, that's just, that's a small part of the actual fungus, right? The real fungus, you know, the most of the fungus are, are these sort of threads that are either, you know, under the ground or in the, the, the piece of wood and they can, you know, they, they spread out and, you know, move about. Um, and that's how, um, you know, that's just, the, you know, the, the actual mushroom that appears is the tip of the iceberg. Right. And right. so um, when, uh, and they've sort of found that these threads actually, you know, you know, connect uh, trees to each other and that there's theories about how they can sort of take advantage of these sort of threads. They can, there's an, ex- is it, there are exchanges of nutrients between you know, the fungi and the trees. And there are also ways that the trees can sort of send messages to, to other trees about, um, uh, you know, you know, harms that might be coming and things like that. It's, it's wild stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was wild for me to finally understand that looking at a mushroom and being like that's fungus is like looking at an apple and being like that's a tree. Um, Correct. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh my god. Yeah. Um, and then some some of the stuff about mycelium and not just that like you know trees can talk to each other through fungus, but that like the information within the fungus moves in ways that we don't understand and at speeds that Mm -hmm. don't seem possible uh is is really interesting even before you start to think about how you could use that model to make like computers very good or something um yeah one of the things that he says in his book pretty early on is that fungus are more like animals than they are like plants which yeah. is still something that's really hard for me to wrap my brain around. Um, but is, I think, an interesting model for how we should start to look at ourselves. Um, which is sort of, I think, I think I'd have to check Goodreads to see what the timeline is. But I'm pretty sure I was, like, reading The Mold Farmer and 
the Entangled Life either concurrently or very close to each other, um, which is how in my essay I got very stoked or very hooked on this idea of like, this is what happens if a calamity happens before we form community. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't just like, I'm not a huge mycelium or, or, or mycology guy. Like, I think it's really cool, but I have a hard time reading, you know, any, anything sciencey that's beyond one of those mass market paperbacks that, you know, the entangled life is like, it's very beginner level, even though it has a, a, a very, uh, useful bibliography that I could go and, and really dig into if I wanted to. But, um, I'm, I'm very much one of those guys who's a fan of science. I think it's really cool, and I, I love to see science happen, but, you know, kind of like football or something, like, I'm not getting out on the field. I'm just, right. You guys do your thing, and when something cool happens, I will cheer. Uh, but all, all the actual hard work of it, I'm not going to... I, I don't have the power to touch it. Um, well, it this depends on what part of it, right? I mean, there's, like, there's, cause there's one side of it is the, you know, is, you know, reading academic, you know, or, you know, the... the theories or, or 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 even you know i guess not academic just a popularized version and the other part of it is just like going out and looking at stuff right because that's that's the part of it that i um get excited about because you know just over the past several years going out and looking at stuff like i have observed things i've observed you know that you know whenever i um you know raise them with uh mycologists or you know people who are much more you know expert than i am like so what's going on here and and you know sometimes there's an answer you know and it's like oh this is actually it's this is a what's of what's going on and sometimes is that hasn't really been studied uh <laughs> so um you know your whatever your speculate your, your speculation sounds plausible right this is um in particular my experience whenever I had been um, looking, uh, I, I've been finding, not even looking for, but finding a lot of, there's a particular kind of fungus, it's that infects uh, crane flies. This is the uh, Orinia sepulchralis. Mm. And what, and I wrote a, a short story um, sort of based on the, uh, the behavior of what uh, this fungus does to the crane flies uh, to and applied it to to people and the uh it's a the story is called uh gitation it's uh, uh it's expat press um mm. published it last year um and what i observed was you could find a, a log with one of these sort of infect you know dead infected crane flies where there's the the you know the, the fresh fungus which just which just looked like it just like white fuzz just sort of bursting out from the seams of the of the crane fly um and if you sort of look further along on the log there's another more far gone crane fly and if you keep on stand, you know as you sort of step back and pan out you realize there are like just the remains and some of them are maybe even from the year prior of crane flies that were all compelled to this place presumably by the fungus right because it's the, it, it's not like 
it doesn't grow fast enough that like okay it would infect them from the log and they're flies right that can move about so there has to be something it, you know it's like the sort of there's the summiting behavior where um you know ants will the, you know like a cordyceps fungus right it's, it's sort of known right they will compel the ants to sort of climb to a high place yeah. for the fungus to sprout out of it so this seems like something similar happening in a different type of fungus but that hasn't really been studied but i saw it on sort of in two separate uh woods just these clusters of flies um where that had that were had been infected yeah that's fascinating i i love those the idea of those types of fungus that take over bodies because it just seems so ruthless on on a level that um you know a lot of other animal species i guess there's some like bugs that will do that right that like like bot flies mm. put their larvae in other animals and there's different bugs that do that to other bugs and um i don't know like certain spiders die after their eggs hatch and then get eaten um, but there's something really wild about like controlling another being's body as a means of your reproduction. Uh, and then I see articles about how we're using like dead spiders to, uh, we're like animating their limbs so we can walk them around and, and I don't, I don't know what we would do with that information, yeah. but. Why do they, I mean, so, and parasitism is, is a theme that, you know, runs through, um, a lot of uh, my work uh, and you know it's it's true you know I think whenever it's in the instances of whenever it's you know an animal parasitizing another animal usually that animal has a, a stake in not killing its host right that is it's um, it uh, it wants to exploit its host as best it can for its own purposes and you know maybe it's like a bot fly right that, that can get pretty you know nasty or um but uh, you know in you know in so many cases and this is again i guess kind of like the um some of the uh uh you know the, the sort of commingled mutualism right that sort of works on the fungal level right there's some of that going on on the uh on the you know host parasite level kind of uh, situation too right that's um some of you know that that's a, a, a part of what I was getting at with um, in Leech Girl Lives, right? Where um, you know, sort of the 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 leeches sort of you know devour and replace her arms, but they also um, are are kind of like antidepressants and uh, superpower. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. I, the longer I sit with that book, the more I like it. The more the more like little things that kind of. Um, I don't know, didn't, didn't like fully hit me when I was reading it. And I th I think that the sort of weird relationship she had with the leech arms is something that I enjoy an awful lot. Um, there was a lot to that book, um, that I liked. I thought safety punk was just about the coolest thing. And I like just, you know, the sort of, uh, logical conclusion of what does counterculture look like 
in a place like this, in a place like the Biodome. And and the idea that it's just a whole bunch of people that walk around wearing like wrestling mat, gym gym mat helmets and things, um, was was just hilarious, but like perfectly rational, also. Yeah, it's funny after right, shortly after that came out, that was like when uh, then you know the whole the idea of a of the uh, protagonist being uh, an art safety inspector, right? That uh, people would, would send me links um, about, you know, instances of, of unsafe art, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was, um, I can remember, there was some sort of, um, there was a sculpture, uh, I think it was in Cleveland, that uh, like it was, it was outside of a museum and it was like, it, had, it was curved, it was like a big metal, curved thing but it what it did it, it sort of reflected the sunlight oh jesus in such a way so that it, it like you know it, it basically burnt you know a spot of the grass you know near it right um and you know, there are other you know examples uh of that i feel like there was like a um oh jesus i feel like it was kind of famous actually there was like some you know artist making these it was like a these like stairs to nowhere. Right. And, mm. um, I think people were ascending them and then throwing themselves from the stairs to nowhere. Like it was, um, uh, uh, the idea that I think, you know, we're so familiar with the idea of like art being like, Oh, it's not safe if it's like, um edgy in in some particular way right or or and or if it's like pushing some sort of boundary of of transgression but like i know i just i just thought it would be very interesting like what if you know art being unsafe meant that it's actually going to physically harm you in some way like a like a like a product that wasn't like you know properly tested or (laughs) yeah i I mean, there there are there's other parallels I can think of, like Japanese danger music. There's that instance where the guy like drove a bulldozer into a venue during a, a concert, and people throwing broken glass into the crowd. Oh, jeez, like that. Wait, I feel like I'm, I'm aware. Was that like was that like an atarash or? Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Hold yeah. on. So I. <laughs> <laughs> get get myself so that I don't need to answer any emails. Um, yeah, Hanatarash. meaning yeah, sniveler no. or snot nosed in Japanese. Yeah, they're so good. Hanatarash Four is a is a really good album. Yeah. I haven't actually listened to any of their music, so I'll have to. Um, it's like proto boredoms. So if, mm. so just imagine like just like it's like just the noisy parts of the boredoms. Um, you pretty okay you're pretty much you're pretty close to that to what it would be interesting well, i guess one of the guys went on to to do yeah. boredoms okay cool um but beyond that dangerous physically dangerous art is generally sort of like um laid at the feet of of the artist right the mm-hmm. um is that yoko ono who did the 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 gun and the bullet on a table while she just sat there. I think Marina Abramovich did something similar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
a friend told me once about a guy who like hung himself upside down from a bridge with like a knife in his hand so he could and hung down there for a specific amount of time such that he like cut a mile through the river um but he like also had pricked his veins while doing that too which is a thing that you're allowed to do um Um, but yeah, I like the idea that there was, there's like trip wires and pressure plates in, in the art. Um, that is, you know, you you don't really touch on like haunted houses or anything, but Mm. I'm fascinated by the extreme haunted houses that were popular like five years ago Mm -hmm, in the Kami mm -hmm. Manor and blackout and, and things where people are allowed to grab you and you're signing giant waivers and, um, and, and whatnot. Uh, that, you know, again, it seems like a logical conclusion when people aren't thinking about what the art is saying and just trying to one-up the art that's already there, uh, which is a sort of criticism that I dance around a lot with transgressive writing. Uh, a lot where I don't I don't read a ton of it um but some of it like on face value it's like okay so you wrote that because that's that's the grossest thing you could think of or that's the meanest thing you could think of to write and that's you know that's fine and I'm sure uh, there's more to it but there's certain writers where it's like I feel like I could just get in trouble by having these books and like maybe that's the point um right but um yeah leech girl lives made me think an awful lot about transgressive art and you know what is it that we are actually transgressing and in in a world that is super duper sanitized and safe what does transgression look like it was uh a very got the wheels turning a lot and in a way that a lot of fiction generally doesn't for me and it's what are you actually being kept safe from right right I mean, I don't, yeah i don't care you know how much uh you know how spoilery you know it gets because you know it turns out you know what people are being uh protected from necessarily right is not that like oh it's the you know the it's not really the unsafe art or whatever, right? It's um, and who's really being protected by the sort of the the, the efforts to mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, 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 you know seal away um, uh, this uh, turns out to be pretty privileged uh, segment of the population um, away uh, in a bubble. Or are they uh, the ones who are, who are being protected, or is it um, the the those who um, sealed them and are you know, just kind of trying to escape responsibility for uh, uh, fucking up the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a what a twist! The second part of that book, man, it was just like I'm vibing in the science fiction bubble city, and there's a mushroom wasteland. That's that's awesome, and then suddenly, boom! It's a it's a different book that everything in the twist was uh you know alluded to and it slowly kind of starts to tell you what's actually happening um but the acceleration into the into the turn was really good um 
was something I've been trying to make a conceited, concerted, an intentional effort to to interact more with is sort of schlocky science fiction paperbacks. Yeah, uh, there's there's a couple used bookstores uh, very close to where I live that have just a ton of them. Um, I think a couple of a couple of science fiction nerds must have died, in, you know, in the past 10, 20 years and just uh, nothing got grabbed up in the estate sales except for these by these like two guys who own these two bookstores next to each other. Um, and so I'm just uh, I have a ton of them uh, at, you know, at easy accessibility and uh, you see start out leech girl lives with a dedication and, and said that you were given a whole bunch of science fiction books um by your uncle was it that's right yeah you know my uncle who uh who, you know when he sort of passed away i, I uh it was kind of it was i wound up with loads of his stuff and he had all he had this massive collection of uh of of old you know pulpy uh sci-fi uh novels and and some of it i feel like you know i was in it was funny i mean it was it's uh when i don't know i i I had a my attitude towards this kind of stuff you know changed over time so much because it was i mean the stuff i read growing up that i was like most excited about was sort of weird sci-fi stuff right i think of like you know madeline langle like wrinkle in time and my teacher was an alien and Mm. um uh you know and that it turned to uh and and all and i loved the um the sort of um uh, dougal dixon speculative biology books where it's like here's like you know the new dinosaurs right like what if dinosaurs had evolved till now and you know you had those or the you know uh uh you sort of you know after uh, man where the idea of you know these sort of invented animals of that were um that would have evolved if, if people you know went extinct um and then at some point in i don't know i shifting to like i'm going to be an English major and I'm into serious literature and I'm going to, you know, be, you know, reading things like, you know, um, Proust and um, uh, Dostoevsky and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of, um, I don't know, look down on some of the, like the, the, the genre E stuff that I, um, that I, that I had once uh, loved. And so, yeah, I got all these books and I remember one of them was uh, uh, Day of the Triffids by John Wyndham. And, you know, that's mostly known as like, it, that's a hilarious, it's like the killer plant book, right? You know, there's also the movie, you know, the version and that was what I was familiar with. And it's like killer plants. This is so B sci-fi ridiculous. Um, until like, I actually like finally, um, you know, you, you read it and it was like, wait, this is, this, this novel kicks ass. I'm going to read more of this stuff. <laughs> I read, you know, all the, you know, Jonathan Wyndham I could and, uh, which led to, uh, you know, the sort of people writing, um, you know, sci-fi in the, the sort of 50s, 60s, 70s. And so that means like, you know, Ursula Le Guin 
and uh, Murray Leinster, whose like stuff is he wrote so many books, and I had to tell and I tell everyone I can about you know my my favorite one by him um, because there's always multiple copies of it in um, in used bookstores like you're describing. Um, it's called a War with the Gizmos, and it's about um, killer invisible gaseous beings that um, invade and you can only see if you basically if you like you know throw like a piece of cloth over them and they can kind of see like their shape a little bit right but then they form kind of balls uh, by joining into each other and becoming big masses of invisible things and they kill you by suffocating you um, and the way the the uh, you know, the protagonists in the novel protect themselves by being killed by these invisible gaseous uh, invaders is by smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which I, I thought was just, was just perfect. <laughs> That's, I love that. I, I, um, I haven't, ended up picking up books that old it's been a lot of like 80s and and 70s stuff um mostly because the cover art at that at that time period is is really what hits me in the childhood Mm -hmm. and um yeah there's just something something to it to just grab something that's like a dollar uh and you know you'll read it in a couple days uh if that and and finding that it's actually pretty interesting um and uh something it's such a sensory experience you yeah see, like, the smell and the you know there's the different feel of it yeah 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 100 percent uh and i love the idea that they were just these science fiction guys i think probably because the way that the economics worked is you just had to put out a bunch of books yeah um to survive i think Maybe the way that publishing worked, I don't. I don't know if it was maybe like acting, where you sort of like could get a contract with a publishing company that was just like, yeah, we'll give you fifty bucks for every book you can give us, and you're like, okay, well here we go. Um, and so you just end up getting like crazy ideas like that. Like, um, I mean, I love high concept stuff as much as the next guy, but I also love that whole like. There was another meme that that's like a couple of years old at this point where it's like writer rolls dice. Okay, what if there was two guys who flips a card are on the moon and uh you know spins a giant wheel are being attacked by pteranodons and it's like okay, well that's the book. Let's go. And um yeah, and uh, yeah, apparently I mean they're actually like, the, you know, plot device like dice like that was like that might have been a thing that actually existed i was given um um, (laughs) for it for like a birthday one year so i have stuff (laughs) like that um yeah i there there is a and this is something about like serial tv writing that i love to think about this idea that you are just sort of like handed a bunch of pieces and it's like you have to figure out a way to make this make sense um and i think you know a lot of people like to talk about how season two of twin peaks isn't very good 
um, because David Lynch wasn't part of it. But I love the idea that like a couple of writers were given David Lynchy things and then tried to do David Lynch in a time where he hadn't been analyzed for decades yet. Uh-huh. And so it's like, I don't know. What if the bad guy just like paper mache's a guy in a giant chess piece? I like, let's just figure out how to make that work. Um, I don't know. It reminds me of like old point and click adventure games, like the King Quest mm-hmm. games were just like, why is there a swamp? And then the next thing is I'm like in a beehive and now there's Alice in Wonderland is here and none of the aesthetics line up. Um, ah, man, I just, it feels so freeing to be like, you can just free associate three disparate ideas and make something cohesive if you try really hard. Yeah. Although see, I could, I could never, or I, I would say never, but like I would really struggle to operate that like that. I one thing that like just like in the way that I find myself writing is that I um I plot a lot. Oh, interesting. While at the same time, like, but I kind of plot improvisationally, or like what I do, I think a lot about plots, and I try to. You know, there's the sort of, I don't know. I, I have, I know. Is it is it uh, is it a Kerouacian thing? Like first idea, best idea. Um, mm. I don't know. I'm. I'm not up I with the found, beats. I don't know. Uh, I, I have found that not to be true in my case, anyway. And so I think first idea is probably something I heard somewhere else. You know, somebody else's idea, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, but I find that. Um, with the lo- sort of taking my time with things and if, and really um, sort of thinking about, okay, well, what's the next thing that could happen that uh, on the one hand makes sense, but also on the other hand is surprising, right? Is that, because um, that's the experience that I want people to have when reading one of my books is that the next thing that happens is like it's like what the fuck but also of course Mm -hmm. um and it's like but also to feel like things could sort of veer off um in a i don't know and in in, uh, you don't know what direction you know from the the reader's point of view right so that it can um uh it has this sort of sense of momentum and and also feels like it um you know you will you don't you know i mean it it is i mean it's not like this is new right it's just like you know you 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 don't know what's going to happen next but you want to know what happens next right but it's i don't know i i um so what i had like for Leech Girl Lives, I, I wrote a lot of that book, like while like on the road, like literally like you know driving, you mm-hmm. know, um, you know uh, during long commutes, and um, just turning over like narrative problems in my head and, and trying to figure out well what's the way that we can you know solve this problem or or create a problem that sort of is as weird as possible yeah and that 
that book surprised me because as far as these sort of indie lit books that I've been reading for six years now, um, the world just felt the most dense. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of, a lot of books that are very vibes based and thank God, because I love that. (laughs) Me too. Um, but this one like really felt like maybe there was, Oh, a 60 page world building document on a computer somewhere that that was being pulled from uh which is something i really enjoy growing up reading like the forgotten realms books right this idea that like somebody somewhere has created a a source book for the setting that you're going to be writing for and um because of that there's just an awful lot that happens and and uh you know, I think every once in a while people talk about how, like, books today are too long um, or, like, mass market books are too long and don't justify their length. Um, and Leech Girl Lives, like, just does. Like, there's there's so much in it that it makes sense that it's 300 and some pages long um, with plot, you know? Like, uh, I, I think it was just very successful at at having things to read about as a, as opposed to uh, a lot of the stuff that I read, which is just like, you know, you're just kind of in a river and it's pulling you through with beautiful language and, and interesting ideas that sort of like flit around. And, uh, you know, it's just surprising when, when people break the mold or when, when you find out that you've been kind of like insulating yourself into one stream for a while and you're like oh yeah this dude follows a lot of the same people that i do i'm sure his books are like that too and then suddenly they're not which is just i I think for anybody listening who feels like maybe there's uh in in this ecosystem a sort of like orthodoxy it turns out that there might be but, but there's different branches from it too yeah, and I don't know, I guess, you know, I mean, I try to, I don't know, I, I, I have, I find myself, like, I don't know, I, I just, I, I'm, a, I'm very impatient, and I, and I, um, I don't know, I, I'm a pretty harsh editor, and I also, I have like a, you know, I don't know, I, sometimes I feel like I have the most fun reading, reading short stuff. So, um, you know, the, uh, and, and I do find like, and I feel like people, I feel like I've heard people say like, it's, it's easier to sustain a particular sort of, you know, vibe or feeling or, you know, with, with, um, with shorter work. And I don't know, I feel like, like with Tentacle Head, it kind of veers into, something that's more I don't know if, it, if it's like more aggressively grotesque or more <laughs> just like but well I don't know it's more aggressively grotesque and like sad and silly and I don't know people seem to I'm glad people think it's 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 funny because like i'm not like i'm not like a 
joke person or like I'm not like a try to make people laugh kind of that's just not I'm in awe of people who can do that but that's not really what I'm up to like I just I I um uh uh deadpan is kind of how I roll and um but like I, I don't know I was trying to go like deadpan and squishy mm-hmm. says yeah the I think um like the the sheer patheticness of tentacle head <laughs> is where a lot of the humor comes from where he's just being bullied by some kids and he's like they're right I should be dead <laughs> like something that you know somebody who's very depressed might say in earnest but it's kind of also hard to take seriously uh just like what are you talking about (laughs) um and uh i think i think the cover art and internal art lends itself oh my god the sarah did a wonderful job with the cover Um, sarah allen reed is just amazing and just did i i don't know what strange role of the dice of the universe that got me well i guess so i mean yeah so so she you know um you know came to this you know through uh bear creek press you know she's been had been working with them and um i should say you know so sort of the part of the uh uh you know the 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 genesis for for it right was um so you know i sent it to uh stuart buck the um uh you know the editor-in-chief of bear creek press and um, just think, honestly, just thinking of like, well, this is just kind of like a long story that might um, be good for the the website. Uh, and he, you know, gets back to me and he's like, let's make it a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? Um, but, but also like, okay, let's do it. Let's, and he had, and, and he had Sarah queued up and yeah, her illustrations, um, perfectly capture this sort of, so I mean, with that, I mean, I've been like, I've, I've, I've been like comparing it to like, you know, if you know, like the Moomin land stories and that kind of a thing, right. It's sort of like, it's the, the bizarro grotesque version of, 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 of something like that. Um, yeah, she really captured the spirit of the art and i don't know i i I am not a i don't know i definitely i I have like strong opinions about art and and all that kinds of things but but i I don't know my inclination is like you know let the sort of i don't know i'm not a i don't want to have to be like if i don't in charge of the book cover kind of person. I don't know, you know, and so, and so seeing like, you know, her art and, you know, for the, for the cover and everything inside, it was just like, I don't know. It's, it's something special. It really is. It reminds me of, uh, various horror punk album covers. Yeah. Which, which sets the tone, I think really good because it is that same sort of, um, same sort of tone, right? Where it, it yeah. it's not taking itself super seriously, but it is covering themes and ideas that are, are serious and aren't fun or funny. Um, but at the same time, I mean, like, Soylent Green is people is, is such a meme type of line, which is, yeah. you know, you can figure out by reading the book why I brought that up. 
<laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> uh, that, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it's uh, a perfect um, book cover, which is, which is hard. Book covers are hard to do. Yeah. Um, and then yep. the internal, the internal art is good too. There's, there's a, a page that has the cast of characters and illustrations of all of them. And, uh, I'm just a big fan. Yeah, no, I was, I was amazed because whenever, yeah, uh, 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 she showed me that for the first time, cause that was, um, I don't know. Cause these, these characters had been living in my head for, you know, for, for years at this point. Right. And so it's like, it's instead of anxiety about, okay, what's, um, somebody else gonna, gonna do with them. And she's, you know, it's a cliche, but she knocked it out of the park and <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be, be happier with how it, how it turned out. Absolutely. Um, I'm very curious where some of these characters came from too, because <laughs> They have names like Woody Spider Teeth, which is maybe my favorite character. Um, pale Sponge, Purple Gums, or Purple Gum, Green Grapes. Um, wh- what was the idea generation like that? Like for this? Uh, you know, that was, I you know, very. Uh, maybe it's just sort of it's very free associative, but I, I I wanted the characters for the most part to be like their they don't really have names so much as just very short descriptions of what they look like, but that are just odd juxtapositions. And I just, um, so that's, I just wanted, you know, it, it really didn't writing it right. It wasn't even, I didn't have, um, the, you know, the, 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 you know, the sharp, really drawn lines of like what the characters actually look like so much as like okay this that's these are um kind of image juxtapositions that i just think would do interesting things in in someone's head you know um that's something that that, that i i um I don't know. I, I played around with in more like shorter stories, but uh, not, not in something prior to this, and, and something as as uh, you know this this length, right? I really like um, just when the description is like, it, on the one hand, has like it has an emotional resonance and maybe is surprising, but also uh, and it kind of can just kind of trigger the imagination and um to kind of see things that are unexpected or in unexpected ways i mean I, the, 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 I always go back to the um the uh, uh you know the the sort of the the um the, the story that made me excited about like you know thinking about this kind of thing like it was like you know eons ago whenever i read the nose by by uh you know nikolai gogol and the idea of like you know there's this the, they broke the bread and this nose comes out and then the nose is going on goes off and does like anthropomorphic things and there's nothing about how like the nose is like changes size to be like you know, in disguise as a person or things like that. It's just like the nose gets onto a carriage and it's like, it's just sort of um, that kind of uh, absurdity that 
it it's just it i don't know it it it, it kind of reminds me of like the effect of like watching a horror movie and being scared of something that you know is plainly fake right like oh like you can uh, or scared or disgusted or having some kind of reaction, right? Like, I, 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 I'm thinking of, like, um, like the old, like, uh, like, you know, the pre-Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson movies, right? Like, things like Dead Alive or, or Bad Taste. And those, those things that are, like, the, the, the monsters and effects and things that are, they're fake, but they're still, like, they, they, they are elicit the response effectively because, like, they're of the way they're designed. <laughs> discover tentacle head who they think is dead and is not dead. Miko sits in the dust watching the children play. One with a head like a purple wad of chewed gum and one that looks like a pile of overripe green grapes take turns using a bone to scribble insults on the ground. One like a pale sponge with globs of red jelly for eyes, giggles and chases one like a ball of yellow fluff. Off to the side, one that appears to be made out of wood and has rows of twitching spider legs for teeth stands by itself, observing. Soon the children are bored. Green Grapes suggests they go play by the overflowing dumpsters. Playing by the overflowing dumpsters is fun because Miko tells them not to. When she catches them, her many eyes scowl as she scolds them and points accusingly at the turds and less identifiable categories of effluent curdling in oily pools among the trash. Purple Gum and Pale Sponge agree immediately. Overflowing dumpster playtime, it is. But Yellow Fluff whines and hesitates. It doesn't want to get in trouble. It doesn't want to get dirty. It had only just managed to cut away the last clumps of mold that had started growing in its fluff. It's sure the mold came from playing in the trash. The others taunt Fluff by quacking at it. They say it is afraid because it is a duck. I am not a duck. Fluff insists, and goes along with the others to play near the trash to prove it. Woody Spider-Teeth stands by itself, observing. They find a soiled old blanket covering some trash and they take it. What they find under the blanket isn't trash. It's a body. It's kind of all shriveled and kind of all bloated. They find the body very interesting. 
They get sticks and stand in a circle around the body, then take turns daring each other to poke it to prove it's dead. Before long, they're all laughing and whapping the body together, making a sick rhythm with their gleeful beating. They continue this game until Pale Sponge stops and yawns and says it's tired. The others agree they're also tired. That they drag the body away from the trash. They take the blanket they found with the body and spread it on the ground. They prop up the body so it sits upright on the blanket. They have a pretend picnic with it. A child's thing sits on each side of the body to take its arms and flop them around as they take turns doing deep voices to talk like grown-ups talk. The other children pretend to offer the body food. The children doing the imitation grown-up voices refuse the food politely, as if the body has some other reason besides being dead for not eating. No, thank you. I'm allergic to cake the children make it say in their silly, deep, mock, grown-up voices. The children pretending to offer it food pretend to find the body's cake refusal so offensive they smear the pretend cake in its face. From where she sits, Miko can see them manipulating the corpse like a giant disfigured doll. She resists the urge to tell them not to. Over the next few days, she sees the children proceed from smearing imaginary things in the body's face to smearing a number of real things in its face. Mud, spit, maggoty fruit, possibly turds. She keeps resisting the urge to tell them not to. She tells herself she should let them be cruel. They are monsters among monsters. They live in a cage. They see death every day. Better they be cruel to someone dead than someone living. Better they be cruel to someone who feels nothing instead of each other. She doesn't blame them for their childish cruelty. They don't understand. Not because they're children. Children can understand anything. Because there's agony in understanding in knowledge, in perception. For them, there's so much unavoidable agony they've already endured, too much. The reason they're still alive is because the abuse they've suffered so far hasn't killed them yet. The procedures, the shanty town, the indifference of everyone around them, everyone around them dying or killing one another to survive, especially the adults. Every adult except Miko. 